Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. Later you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like address, let us know. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. Hi, we're back studying soterology tonight, and I hope you're enjoying this study. We're going to be talking about, again, some difficult Bible passages, but let me just remind you that we've already covered general aspects of salvation, salvation in the Old Testament and the dwelling places of those saved dead. There's quite a lot of discussion going on nowadays among some preachers on that. Election, that's another hot topic. And now we're talking about security of the believer. Is this something, your position in Christ, can it be turned down? Can it be lost? Is that something, and we're, we're going to be examining that, looking at primarily two passages of scriptures that people often use to show that the believer can lose or walk away from his salvation. Then we'll get into something else that we find particular in missionary Baptist churches, and not only in us, but uh, in, in some of the independent Baptist churches, there is something going on uh, called New Lightism, and it relates to something our saints only in the church, and that uh, we're, we're going to be describing that and explaining all of that. Then we'll also get into what is baptism for? Is it essential for salvation? And what about the baptism for the dead? We're going to take a couple of weeks and look at that so that you can give an answer to people. And if you have questions, of course, and I say this every week, if you've got questions about difficult Bible passages, we want to know. We want to look at those and we'll handle those as also in this time and in this passage. All right, you can ask the questions directly on Facebook or uh, through email. Email the church at lmbc209 at gmail.com, or you can send them to me at paul at landmarkstockton.com. The church's doctrinal statement on salvation says this, and you can find this on the website, landmarkstockton.com. Uh, if you go down to what we believe, you'll find this in all of the many, many scriptures. We believe that the depraved sinner is saved wholly by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that the requisites to regeneration are repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit convicts sinners, regenerates, seals, secures, and indwells every believer. You see all those verses down at the bottom? There's quite a number of them, uh, and that by no means is exhaustive in uh, showing these truths. So we understand that the Holy Spirit regenerates sinners, he seals, secures, and indwells every believer. That's an important point because uh, it stands to the what we're talking about with security of the believer. The doctrinal statement specifically says about eternal security, we believe that all those who trust Jesus Christ for salvation are eternally secure in him and shall not perish. Again, there's just a few of the verses that show this. Uh, John, Romans, Hebrews, First Peter, all of these show 
where we stand on eternal security. So let's get into this question about from Hebrews chapter 10. I'm sorry, we're going to start with Hebrews chapter 6 and verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Many take this to say, look, they can fall away. So let's just consider what is it that the Bible is speaking of here, and we'll ask the question, does the Bible teach the believer's eternal life is secure in Christ? That's our question. Now, we do talk about eternal life or everlasting life. Therefore, it has to carry, because it is eternal, it is everlasting, it must carry some level of security. Giving eternal life in the teachings of Jesus is a guarantee against perishing or condemnation in hell. And there's just a few of those places where Jesus specifically speaks on that topic. And so we'll just consider that what a person believes about the completed work of Christ will really determine their stand and it will make a big difference in their theology. And as you know, I believe that what you believe about God will play out in a very practical sense. And what you believe about the Bible and what you believe about your stand of eternal security is has a very practical aspect. If I believe that I have some part of my personal salvation, in other words, God saw something good in me and he saved me or uh, something happened that I cried out and I had some part in that, then I'm going to be insecure in my Christian walk because if that's the case, then I can sin. I can fall. I'll do something to mess it up and I'll step outside of God's love and outside of God's grace and thereby lose my salvation. That's the wrong thinking. That's the wrong application of this. But the Bible does teach security of the believer. We find it in John chapter 17, where Jesus is speaking in the high priestly prayer. He, this is really the Lord's prayer. This is where he identified that he will keep the believers, all of those that have come to him. He will keep them. He will preserve them. That was a part of his work. And of course, he completed that work in the death of the cross and his resurrection. He overcame death and hell. He overcame that condemnation. So since God has completed his work, and since the believer has life, that is an eternal life. So if the believer has eternal life, God's completed his work. How could God abdicate in any way a complete agreement and take away that salvation? Just think about that for just a moment. How is it that God would do something like that that does not match the nature of God, who God is? He will not take back what he has given. However, 
let's examine a little more fully in some of the scriptures because Jesus used the idea in John chapter 10 that we are in the Father's hand, that we are in Christ's hand. And he emphasizes this to, to secure the position of every believer, that, that we could not be taken out of the Father's hand. We could not be removed from Jesus's hand. And then, of course, we have other verses that talk about the Holy Spirit indwelling us, the guarantee, the Holy Spirit now securing us. All of those deal with this very topic. Now, let's examine the scriptures. We, are, we want to get into Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8 in particular. And so, let's think about the context. Context always gives the meaning of the passage. And here, remember, the author is urging his audience. These were Jewish believers, Jewish Christians. They had left Judaism. And he's wanting them to go beyond the basic teachings he was wanting them to go on and, and grow into maturity. He talked about that in the very beginning, chapter 9, that he's wanting us to grow and mature. And so we can see it talks about literally those acts that lead to death. It refers to dead works, and that's Back from Hebrews 9, 4, we're talking about under the Levitical law, the, the Levitical ritual, those rituals were dead works. They did not affect anyone's salvation. One who stepped backward from these elementary truths, one who stepped away, they needed to be trained again in the basics. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 5. He's not wanting them to step back, but he's wanting them to grow to maturity. So think about if they returned to Judaism, it would only be a return to dead works. Why? Because they would have rejected the fundamental doctrines of the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of Jesus, as well as the eternal judgment. Those are the issues. And so they've got to come back and deal with those basic truths, those elementary truths that we, of course, hold to and that others that are in Christ, we all hold to those things. So if they were to abandon their Christian profession, fall away, verse 6 says, it would mean that they abandon these truths. They abandoned these doctrines. In other words, what the readers had previously learned, they're giving all of that up. In this sense, the foundation would have been laid, and now they have to relearn those things. The author wants them to press toward maturity. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect or full-grown or mature. That's why he's encouraging them, don't go backward, don't go backward, go on to maturity. The progress that is considered here, and let's think about, because there are various ways of interpreting this passage, and I've looked at all of these. 
So number one, we understand there's some interpret this that a Christian can walk away or lose his salvation. Well, I don't agree with that, but that's what some use this passage to say, and that's what our study is. Or some look at this passage, it's saying it's a warning against a mere profession of faith, and it really falls short of salvation. That could be true, but I I think the context is going to bear out more than that. Or that the author is giving a hypothetical. The question is, if a Christian could lose his salvation, then there is no provision for repentance. Now, that is also true. If you could lose it, it would take Christ coming, dying on the cross, anew and fresh, and you would have to be born again a second time or a third time. And each time, then Christ's death on the cross was somehow not sufficient to keep you saved. So there's a fourth way of interpreting this passage, and I think this is what the context really bears out, because it's that of a warning that's given to the Christian that there is a danger from moving from true faith, moving away and becoming disqualified for future and further service. So I think that's something that this passage will bear out, and you'll see that in the context as we go through. In this, the assertion is, and I believe that this is the assertion, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to maturity or perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And so then he talks about it's impossible, verse 4, For those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and to become partakers of the Holy Spirit, he also tells us that in chapter 10, verse 32, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. So they've shared in the Holy Spirit, they've tasted the heavenly gift, they've been enlightened, all of that. And if they should fall away, that translation really does not do full justice because there is no hint of a conditional element here. In other words, it's not, well, maybe they could fall away, maybe not. Really, here's a more accurate translation, and that would be, it's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers or sharers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Do you see the difference? And if they were able to and fell away, it's difficult to bring them back to a place of repentance. We're going to talk about that. This is far from treating the question in a hypothetical way, because the writer really sounds like he knows of some of these cases. The words fall away cannot refer to losing eternal life. The context does not bear that out. Also, the Gospel of John, Romans, later on in Hebrews and 1 Peter, it makes it abundantly clear that salvation is eternal life, and that is life with the Lord. Paul warned Timothy that there were false doctrines and they were dangers to a Christian's faith. They would cause them to stumble, would cause them to uh, go in the wrong direction. And so 
I think as we examine these scriptures, the author really wants those who are listening, that those who could possibly fall away after a great spiritual privilege, they couldn't be brought back to repentance. They could not go back into Judaism. Why? Because they're crucifying the Son of God all over again. Now think about that. Subjecting him to public disgrace. The words to their loss might be better rendered with respect to themselves. Let's think about that a little bit. Those who renounce their Christian faith, those that are going back to Judaism, with respect to their own conduct, their attitude, they're taking a step that amounts to a fresh public rejection of Christ. I want to explain that a little bit more. When they first trusted, they acknowledged Christ died for their sins, the result of their sinful condition. He acknowledged that crucifixion. He acknowledged man's sin, their own sinfulness and that they needed a savior. But by renouncing that opinion, they really are siding with Jesus's enemies, that he really deserved to die on the cross. You see that? That's what they're saying there. They're explaining that, yes, Jesus deserved that. Now, Think of that because since the original crucifixion, it was done by all of us. Christ died for all mankind, but it was especially the work of the Jewish nation. There were those that the Lord used in Israel to bring that about. So I'm not saying that the Jews were the only ones. We, our sins, nailed Christ to the cross. But if the readers were Jews that are being lured back into some kind of a former ancestral religion. That's what we're talking about then. The writer's word made a very particular point. Their apostasy would be like stepping back over the line, once more expressing that they were with those who wanted Jesus to die, who thought that Jesus, because he stated very clearly that he was the son of God, that he deserved death on the cross. And so that's what is being laid out here, I believe, that really suggests a deep hardening of the heart, that they would go back to that position, that they would go back to that and say that that's really what's happening. Let's talk about some points of understanding here. This is not falling away from salvation due to the nature of regeneration. And I want you to think about this. Because of what happens when we're saved, regeneration is a work of God. It is not of works that any man should boast. Therefore, no man has the ability to change his nature. That is the work of God and God alone. The New Testament makes it clear that regeneration is a sphere in which man does not have control. Man can't not change his nature. We're sinners. We're doomed by nature, but regeneration takes us and gives us the new birth. So the born-again Christian can no more lose his sonship to the heavenly father than even an earthly son can lose his sonship to an earthly father. An earthly son could say, well, I'm divorcing my parents, or I'm not going to have any more to do with my parents, but still you can't change the biological fact. And the same truth is true in scripture. So, The child of God is linked 
in a union with Christ, uniquely linked with the work of God. The New Testament teaches this is really an organic union where believers are in Christ. And as it says in 2 Peter 1 and 4, we have become partakers of the divine nature. Now, how can we walk away from that? How can we lose that? Well, once we're born again, we carry that new nature. That divine element no longer is dependent on our old man, on the old Adam. It's no longer dependent upon an unstable will. Well, if I come this way or go that way, you see the point? When you're born again, you have that new nature within you. And that divine element, the Holy Spirit, now lives within you. You are not dependent on that old, unstable will any longer. Lessons about grace, because that's really what we're talking about here, is that the grace of God in all of this. Some would say then that grace wasn't sufficient to save. But grace is used in Scripture unlike any other theme. Because as sinners, we deserve damnation. We deserve eternal hell, eternal punishment. But in God's grace, in His the grace of his salvation, think of what he's done. He has removed every charge against any sinner. And he has removed or dismissed our human responsibility that we had to keep the law, that we had to be perfect. Well, we couldn't do that. But Christ did, and he took our place, and he has removed our human responsibility. When we trust in Christ, then that grace is upon us. Grace is more than just love for the sinner. It's much, much more. It's much greater than just that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His grace is greater even than that. It's absolutely free. We cannot merit it. It's bestowed. It's a free merit bestowed on the sinner. God has dealt with all sin through Christ. Think of that. All sin has been dealt with. Grace means that the sinner, all he has to do is receive God's forgiveness. All we have to do is come to him through faith by grace. We all have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, Paul tells the church at Rome in Romans 5 and 2. Since human ability did not gain a standing before God, we couldn't do it on our own ability. Human ability cannot maintain that standing. That's important. We cannot maintain it. The grace of God anticipated your sins. He anticipated that we could not keep it. He's known this. It's not new or surprising. It's what we do does not surprise God. His grace anticipated that. He took care of your sins, past, present, future. Think about this. When Christ died, all of our sins were the future, and yet he died for you. He knows where we'll still fall. Now we're going to deal with that because that is an argument that sometimes people say, well, then is security of the believer just a license to sin? No. God never encouraged sin. He disciplines us now as a father disciplines his child. Again, Hebrews talks about that. Other places in the New Testament speak of that, that he deals with us as children and he disciplines us. That's part of what we're going to see in the context 
of Hebrews 6. So security of the believer is not a license to sin. Many people that do not hold the security of the believer say that's the reason why. It just gives you a license to sin. But what does 1 John 1, 9 say? That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He demands our confession, our repentance. That is that turning away from sin and back to God. Think about some illustrations now. Because the illustration is given in verse 8 that really make the author's point very clear. He begins to talk about the rain-soaked property, the rain-soaked land, that the earth drinks in the rain and bears herbs useful to those whom he has cultivated, it says. So the writer is comparing the spiritual privileges that we find in verses 4 and 5 now to the heavenly rain that's descending on the Christian life. But when it, verse 8, but if it bears thorns and briars, It is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Now, some would take that. This land is about to be cursed and sent to everlasting fire, everlasting damnation. Is that what is happening here? The unproductive Christian life is going to bring the burning of the field. Remember, burning of the field cleared the weeds, the briars, the thorns, the thistles, It made it ready to be productive again. That's what the context is. Some have wrongly concluded this burning is related to hell. Nothing in the context speaks about that. Nothing suggests that. These Jewish Christians were in a position that the Apostle Paul spoke about to Timothy as those who have shipwrecked their faith. There are some that have just walked away. And how sad that is, but we probably have known people that way that have walked away and rather than growing into maturity, they have shipwrecked their faith. That was my point. He's saying grow and go into maturity. Don't step back. Don't step into a position where you will not be fruitful because being unfruitful, God puts you in a place where he will bring about discipline. He'll have to destroy all the bad stuff that's in our lives, and God will do that. Let me tell you, he is—he <laughs> does not play around. Let's look at Hebrews 10 now. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 29, some teach that this teaches that one may lose their salvation. It says, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. This is much of what we've talked about with Hebrews 6. The author here is talking about do not defect. Don't go back. Don't go back into Judaism. Don't go back into the old way. 
most sin is deliberate. We choose. Sometimes there are sins of ignorance, but most of the times we choose sin. But the writer here was influenced by that the Old Testament teaching from Numbers chapter 15, where there are sins of presumption that laid outside the sacrificial provisions of the law. Understand that stepping aside from the faith that was once given to the apostles would be such a willful act for those who commit it. There's no sacrifice for sins left. What does that mean? It means that the cross of Christ, if it's renounced, there's no other sacrifice. You can't go back to the temple and start giving another sacrifice. You can't go back and offer a lamb. You can't offer pigeons or something else. There is no other sacrifice that will keep that one, that apostate, from God's judgment, God's turning in their life. And so the Christian who abandons the confidence that he had at first, he puts himself on the side of God's enemy. And as the writer already said, is in effect crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to a public disgrace. You see, he's talking again about you can't go back. There's no sacrifice that you can find in the temple. And by the way, while Hebrews was written, the temple was still standing in Jerusalem. There were still sacrifices being given. So he's saying, where are you going to go? Will the blood of bulls and goats cleanse you when the blood of Christ didn't do it? There is no other sacrifice. So the Christian that abandons his faith, there's nothing else that he can do. He's brought a public disgrace. And thinking of that, we understand security of the believer. The child of God is secure because salvation is the total, complete, finished work of God. Can I say that again? It is completely done. Long before you and I were born, we are secure because the salvation is the total work of God. But only humans that reason and they think, well, I have to keep my own salvation. I have to do something on my own. That leads you to the wrong conclusion. Then you could step away, that you could lose your salvation. The Bible teaches there is nothing that can remove us from the Father's hands, even ourselves. Romans chapter 8 speaks about that, that there is no height, nor depth, nor creatures. And by the way, no creatures means you, me. <laughs> there is nothing that can remove us from the love of God. And so even we cannot walk away. Security of the believer is well taught, a truth from the Bible. It is not a license to sin. It doesn't just give us that thing that we can just go any way that we want. No, but it does let us know that we can stand firm in our position to God and that he loves you unconditionally on us because of his grace. I hope that's helped and made Hebrews a little more understandable and you can just say that we trust in our great God. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.